this morning we are wrapping up this series. We've been doing this last several weeks, having so much fun with it. It's called Who Told You That? So everybody look at your neighbor, punch your finger in their face, just wag your finger in your face and just tell them, Who Told You That? How many of you have ever believed something before that later you found out it wasn't true? Come on, maybe something. Maybe your parents taught you as you were growing up. Maybe, you know, you finally found out that there was no Easter bunny. Some of you are like, really? There's no Easter bunny? I'm just now finding that out. And so many times, man, we, th- we have these things that we think they were true, and then later on we kind of find out they weren't really that true. And you just want to go, who told you that? Like, where did you get that? And I was thinking about this this week. One of my favorite stories ever is the story of my little girl when she she was turning five years old, my youngest little girl, Addie. We were on vacation down in, sea, down in San Antonio. How many of you ever been to SeaWorld? And we were going to SeaWorld, and, and it was her birthday. It just happened to be her birthday. And so we're waking her up in the morning, and we're like, it's your birthday, and we're going to celebrate your birthday today, and you're turning five, and we're going to go to SeaWorld, and we're going to see Shamu, and she's so excited and whatever. And so we get in the car, and we drive out to, to SeaWorld. And when we get to SeaWorld, it just so happened that SeaWorld, was celebrating their 25th anniversary, and so they had this thing up on the deal. You can see the picture here, a big old banner that said, Happy Birthday, up there. And I'm not kidding, my daughter Addie thought that that was just for her. And we just told her, that's for you, baby, that's for you, because we're good parents like that. I'm telling you, we're... We're good parents like that. And how many know, sometimes you can believe something that really wasn't true. And in this case, hey, it didn't hurt her to believe that. But how many know that sometimes you can believe some stuff that you thought was true, that you later find out it wasn't true. And the fact of the matter is, if we believe stuff that's not true, it can, it can hurt us. In fact, that's kind of our key thought for this series. It's up on the screen and in your notes there this morning. It goes like this. Even if something is true, it can still, or is not true, it can still affect you if you believe it. And haven't you experienced that before? I see this all the time in churches. I see this as a pastor. So many times I see people that believe things that maybe they just kind of assumed they were true. Maybe even someone told them they were true. Maybe they just kind of misread or misinterpreted or misunderstood some stuff. And they think something's true that's not really true. And sometimes as a pastor, I just want to go, who told you that? Like, where did you get that? And so that's kind of what we're doing in this series. is is we're talking about some of these things, some of these myths, some of these things that are maybe kind of misunderstandings that sometimes we believe as Christians and in the church that maybe really aren't true and we're just kind of just putting the truth out there. We're just kind of dispelling some of these myths. We talked the first week in this series, we talked about the idea that God just wants you to be happy and I'm telling you, if you weren't here on that week, you need to go back and listen to the podcast because so many people have this idea that all God wants is for me to be happy and so I can do whatever I want as long as it makes me happy because God wants me to be happy. And we learned some valuable truth that God wants more than for you to be happy. He wants you to be more than happy. So everybody say more than happy. Then last week, man, we talked about a big one. If I have heard this one one time, I've heard it a million times in the church. I've probably even said it. Some of you may have even said it before. And that is this whole idea that God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that before, right? And man, I wish that that was true. But the truth is, so many times, God will allow us to experience way more than we can handle because it causes us to have to trust in him. We learned some great stuff on that last week. Now, this week, I'm just telling you, 
you, we're going to dive into something that just, I mean, this subject that we're going to talk about today, I mean, it may be a little uncomfortable. In fact, when you start talking about something like this in church, so many times people just kind of squeeze up a little bit and the air just kind of gets sucked out of the room and nobody likes to hear this subject that we're going to talk about. We love the subject, but we don't like it when the pastor talks about it and maybe it's because this myth and this lie that we have believed and heard and thought so many times and that is this that God wants your money you know the truth is I've heard this as a pastor so many times man the church just wants their money and they're always taking up an offering and that pastor all he ever talks about is money and all God really wants from me is my money and so here's what we're going to do today we are going to once and for all expose the truth today you ready for some truth I'm not sure if you can handle the truth but we're going to tell you the truth today you ready for this here is the truth the truth is this God doesn't want your money Everybody look at your neighbor and just tell them, God doesn't want your money. He don't want your money. I'm just saying. Like, how many of you just breathe a sigh of relief? Oh, I feel so much better. Like, God doesn't want my money. Some of you can take your hand off of your wallet now because... I mean, God doesn't want your money. The church doesn't want your money. I don't want your money. Hey, here's the deal. I mean, think about that statement just for a minute that God wants my money. Think about how ridiculous that statement really is. God. The God of the universe, the one who is almighty and all-powerful, the creator and sustainer of all the universe that the Bible says in Genesis that he just spoke the word and things that weren't there were all of a sudden there. To think that that God who spoke a word and something would be created, that that God wants my money. Think about how ridiculous that is. Like, God doesn't want your money. He don't need your money. In fact, he could, if he wanted money, all he would have to do is say the word, money. And money just poof, it would just be there, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like my dad used to tell us when I was growing up, money doesn't grow on trees, son. How many of you heard that before? And yet, guess what? God created all the trees in the forest. And if he needed money or wanted money, he could even create a money tree. Like, it's so ridiculous to think, God wants my money. The church wants my money. It's all about money, 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 you know. (laughs) And here's the truth. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. In fact, we, we see this in this passage of Scripture that I want to look at today in Psalms chapter 50. And here's what's happening in Psalms 50. The Israelites, they're kind of feeling a little bit proud about how much they give and the sacrifices that they make. And they're kind of feeling a little bit good about themselves, about how much offering they give and how faithful they are to that. And they're kind of just bragging about it just a little bit. And then here's what God says to them. And, and you got to remember, the Israelites, when they gave, it wasn't in the form of maybe money. It was in the form of their sacrifices that they brought the bull and the goat and whatever. And so they're feeling good about that. And here's what God says to him in Psalm 50 and verse 9. He says, I don't need the bulls from your barn or the goats from your pens. For all the animals of the forest are what? Everybody say it aloud. Mine. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And I know every bird on the mountain and all the animals in the field are what? Say it again. Mine. And if I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you about it. For all the world is mine and everything in it. God says, hey, it ain't about sacrifices. 
It ain't about offerings. It ain't about bulls or cows that you would offer in sacrifice to me. I believe that if God was talking to us in the 21st century today, he would say, it ain't about money. I don't want your money. I don't need your money. In fact, there is nothing that you have that you could give to me that I don't already have because it's already mine. It all belongs to me in the first place. In fact, he says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And let me just tell you something. It's not just the cattle on the hills that he owns. He owns the hill itself. And he owns the mineralites to whatever's underneath the hill. Come on. I'm just telling you that God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He already has everything that he would ever want or need. He is the creator and sustainer of it all. He has all power over this earth. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. It's not about money. Everybody look at your neighbor and tell them it's not about money. It's not about money. So I know here's the question. The question is this, if it's not about money, and if God don't want my money, and if God doesn't need my money, then why is the church always talking about money? Why does the Bible talk about money? Why is it that Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined? If God doesn't want my money, then why does the scripture tell me that I ought to give my money? Well, that's a great question. And I want to talk about it for just just a minute here this morning. If you have your notes, I just want to mention four things. I believe that, that God doesn't want your money, but I believe that God wants some other things for you. And I want to talk about these this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, look at this. God doesn't want your money, but here's what he wants. He wants to be first. Everybody say first. See, see here's the deal. God doesn't want your money, but I'll tell you what he really does want. He wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants to be first in your life. I mean, think about it this morning. How many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married in the place this morning. If you're married here today, think back to when you got married on that day, when you're standing at the front of the building. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. And, man, you're getting a little nervous, and they open that back door. And, man, she comes walking in in the beautiful white dress. And you're just going, oh, man, it's so, it's so amazing. And she gets up there, and the pastor starts to say the vows and whatever. And, and here's what the pastor doesn't say. The pastor doesn't say, will you take this woman to be known? number two in your life like I mean you can have one other woman and she'll be the second how many know that ain't gonna fly how many know what I'm saying no 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 what what do you what does he say he says to take this woman to be your one and only and then what does he say forsaking all others give yourself only unto her right you see, if you have a relationship with someone, like in a, in a marriage relationship, here's what it's all about. It's, about. it's about loving one another and putting that person first priority in your life. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants to be number one in your life. He don't want to be number two, but number two is high up there. I mean, there's three and four and five and six. No, no, no. God says, no, I want to be first in your life. Nothing else. I want to have an exclusive relationship with you. 
In fact, if you'll remember when Jesus was asked, what's most important, what's the greatest commandment, you might remember what Jesus said, hey, the greatest and most important commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, hey, it's about a relationship with God. It's about putting God first in our lives, that we would love him with all of our heart. I mean, you think about the Ten Commandments. What was the first of the Ten Commandments? The first one was, you shall have what? No other gods before me. I'm telling you today, God wants to be number one in your life. Here's the problem. Problem is, you can't have two number ones. It is impossible. Some of you are going, well, you could have one A and one B. Well, no, 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 because you still got A and B. It is impossible to have two number ones. I know, I know some of you college football fans. We got any college football fans? And I'll tell you what, it drives me crazy at the end of the year when they go, hey, we're going to have co-champions. I'm like, you can't have co-champions. Like, you got to have a champion. You're either number one or you're not number one, right? And I know some of y'all, your kids are in soccer, and it's just like, hey, let's just give them all a trophy. Nobody get their feelings hurt. <laughs> And I'm going, you can't give them all a trophy. you got to have first and second, and you can't have two first places. And that's what God says. Hey, you can't have two number ones. Either I'm number one or I'm not number one. And here's, here's where the problem comes, is that the thing that competes for number one in our lives the most is money. Isn't that true? In fact, this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6 and verse 24. Look what he says. You cannot, everybody say cannot. You cannot serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus said, hey, you can't have two number ones. You can't have two masters. There's only one number one. And then he just has to throw this in there. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want your money, but here's what I want. I want to be number one in your life. And if money has replaced me as number one, then I'm not number one. You can't have two number ones. And so here's the biggest problem, that if God doesn't have our money, then he doesn't really fully have us. It's not about money. It's about being first. It's about relationship with God. So you might say, well, all right. How do I make sure that God is number one in my life? How do I make sure that he has all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength? Well, Jesus teaches us how to do that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. Look what he says. He says, for wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So if we want to make sure that God is number one, then here's what we do. We give him our treasures. We put our treasure in him, and then we have made sure that our heart is with him. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about money. It's not that God wants your money. Here's what he wants. He wants your hearts. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be number one in your life. And here, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. You ready for this? Giving is the proof of loving. I mean, think about it, all right? Christmas coming up here in, a few, here in a few weeks. Some of you already began your Christmas shopping. You got there in the hustle and the bustle and getting all the stuff. And some of you on Christmas morning, your kids are going to run down under, and sit down underneath the tree. And they're going to open all these gifts that you spent way too much money on and charged up the credit card. And you're going to stress all year about all that stuff that you bought and you're still having to pay for. It. And you do it. And you do it with joy. And you do it gladly. Why? Because you love those kids. 
You see, giving is the proof of loving. We see that in God. What, what's the scripture say? We know it. Everybody could quote it by heart. John three sixteen. God so what? So loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only son. If we love, then we give. God loved us, and so he gave to us the best that he had, his only son. We see it in the life of Jesus in the scripture where, where it says that, that, um, that Jesus gave of himself For us in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might be rich. Jesus gave of himself for us. The proof of him loving us was that he was giving of himself to us. And it's the same with us. The proof that we love God is in our generosity. In fact, the scripture says it like this in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 8. Paul Paul says, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, in your gifted speaking, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, in your love for us, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but look what he says he is doing. I am testing. Everybody say testing. I am testing how genuine your love is. You see, God doesn't want your money. But what he wants is he wants your love. He wants your hearts. Number two, look at this. God doesn't want our money, but I'll tell you what he does want. He wants us to grow. Everybody say grow. I'm telling you something today. If you want to grow in the Lord, there is nothing that will cause you to grow in your faith and in your relationship with the Lord, in your trust in the Lord. Nothing will cause you to grow like becoming a generous giver. I'm just telling you, I mean, when you start giving, it is like discipleship on steroids. I'm just saying, you will see so much growth in your life. Some of you are experiencing this even right now. You've taken the tithe challenge, and man, you're trying to do that. You're trying to put God first, and you're trying to honor Him and trust Him in this way. And I'm telling you, nothing will cause your faith to grow like one of those days when it's like we had a bad month, and we're not sure if we're going to make the be able to make the house payment, but man, we're going to put God first, and we're going to tithe. Anyway, I'm telling you, it will cause your faith and trust in the Lord to grow exponentially. In fact, I, I, just, I just saw, uh, just kind of wrote down a couple things that I was thinking about this week. Letter A, when we give, we learn to trust. Everybody say trust. See, that's really what giving is all about. It's about trusting. It's about saying, God, I trust you that your way is better than mine. That even though it doesn't make sense... It's better than mine. It's trusting and saying, okay, I could take this money that I have and have 100%, and yet if I give God 10%, that he will bless the 90% and make it better than the 100%. How many know that takes trust? And here's the deal. In order to learn to trust, you got to put something to the test. In fact, that's why the scripture says in Malachi 3.10, test me on this, says the Lord. And here's what happens. When we test in this way, then what he does is he proves himself trustworthy not let her be write this down when we when we give what happens is we start to see God's power at work and I, I was thinking of this in my own life I remember when we first moved here uh, to Burleson to plant this church and uh, many of you know the story we moved here it's just me and my wife and we had two little girls that were two years old one year old at the time and we were pastoring a great church out in in uh, west texas we moved we resigned the church to move here and we sold our house and the only money that we had to live on for however long it was going to be before the church got going and got started to where it could support us only money we had to live on was the money that we made when we had when we sold our house we had some equity in our house and so we moved here and that was what we 
just going to live on for a while because we didn't have a job and we didn't have a church. We didn't have a salary. We didn't have any of that kind of stuff. So after we had been here, I mean, just a couple of weeks, we went to a, a conference where they were teaching us how to plant a church, how to start a church. And as we're in that conference, we're sitting around, they had these little round tables, and we're sitting around these round tables. And at our table, there was like three other couples that were going to be planting churches in different communities. And as we got to know those couples and whatever, well, one day uh, during, the, during the meeting, Amber comes to me and says, you know, I feel like, my wife Amber comes and says, I feel like God is, is telling me that we need to do something for those other church planters at the table. I said, all right, well, let's do something. And she said, well, I feel like God is telling me that we need to give $1,000 to each one of the church planters that's at the table. And I'm like, wait a second, one, two, three, that's, that's, that's $3,000. Um, I don't really know about that, babe. Don't you know we don't have a job, you know? I mean, we got this money that we set aside over here, but that's where we're going to live on. And we already even tithed off of that. So we're good, baby. We're good, you know? And she's like, no, I feel like we need, to, we need to give. And I said, all right, if you feel like that's what the Lord's laying on your heart. So on Friday, we got our checkbook out. We wrote out three checks, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000. We handed it out to those three other church planters that were sitting at that table. Well, we had a service scheduled on Sunday, two days later, at my dad's church where he was going to let us preach and try to raise some support for our church. And two days later... I preached a sermon. They took up an offering and said, we want to we wanna support your church plant. Guess what the offering was for on that day? Not $3,000. It was $5,000. Not only that. Come on, you can clap in a second. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be better, all right? Not, not only that. They said, we want to support you every month for the next year. And they took up pledges throughout the congregation to support us. You know how much it was? It was $1,000 a month. So on Friday, we wrote three checks for $1,000, $3,000. Two days later, we saw God provide $17,000 for our church plant. Come on. How many would say that when we give, we see God's power working in our life? And we would have never experienced that miracle if we had not taken the step of faith to give. Look at this letter C. When we give, it stretches our hearts, man. Some of us, our hearts are about this big, and our hearts are for ourselves. And we can be selfish, and we can be stingy and we can be thinking all about what we have and what we can keep for ourselves but I'm telling you the way to, to the way to combat greed in your life is to begin to give because the more you give guess what the more it stretches your heart and the more generous you become and Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive and what happens is it starts growing us and here's the truth here today God doesn't want your money he doesn't need your money but he does want you to grow into the fullness of all that he has he wants your faith and your trust in him to grow and so he asks us to give for our own good so that we can grow into what he wants us to be come on i'm preaching today number three write this down god doesn't want your money but here's what he wants he wants you to be blessed everybody say blessed how many of you want to be blessed today just raise your hand come on you want to be blessed guess what here's what we have to understand god's kingdom is backwards it's upside down like in his kingdom, everything is just reverse of what you would think it would be. I mean, you read the scripture, you'll see. In God's kingdom, in order to go up, here's what you got to do. You got to go down. In order to be great, you've got to become less. In order to be a leader, you've got to make yourself a servant. And let me just tell you something. In order to receive in God's kingdom, here's what you have to do. You have to give. 
And here's what God wants for you. He wants to bless you. He wants your life to be blessed. He even wants to bless your finances, but he doesn't do it in the way that we think that he would do it. We think, well, God wants to bless me, so I'm just going to go to the mailbox, and there's going to be check in the mail, or I'm going to win the lottery, or whatever. And that's not the way it works. Here's how God gets his blessing to you. He gets his blessing to you as he gets the blessing to flow through you to other people. In fact, here's why God wants you to give. Because he wants to make you blessable. Everybody say blessable. He wants to put you in position to be able to receive the blessing. How, how many football fans do we have in here today? Come on, you football fans in the house. Like when the quarterback, when he drops back to pass and he throws that pass to the what? What do they call it? To the receiver, right? And so he's going to receive the pass. But in order for the receiver to receive the pass, he has to be in the right position. Like if he runs the wrong route or if he's not where he needs to be or if he, gets, if he falls down or whatever, we've seen it. So many times the quarterback throws a good pass, but it gets, you know, it comes in complete or somebody, you know, comes in and, and picks it off or whatever. And here was the problem was that the pass was there, but the receiver wasn't in position to be able to receive it. And it's the same way with the blessings of God. Guess what? God wants to drop back and throw some bombs of blessing into your life. And he's doing that, but if you're not in the right position, you won't be there to receive it. And some of you are going, well, God said he wants to bless me, but I'm not having any blessings in my life. And maybe the reason you're not being blessed is because you're not underneath the blessing. See, here's the deal. God is always pouring out blessings. But in order to receive them, we have to position ourselves underneath where he is pouring them out. It's like if I... You know, got getting ready here this morning. I turn on the shower, and the water is pouring out. It's flowing out of the shower, but I never step underneath the water. I'm never going to get wet. And here's the thing is that God wants to bless you. He is pouring out the blessings for you today, but you're not going to be able to receive them until you get in a position to be able to receive. That's what the scripture is talking about in Psalm 25 and verse 12. It says, where is the man who fears the Lord? God will teach him how to choose what is best and he shall live within the circle. Everybody say the circle. Within the circle of his blessings. See, when we learn to give, then what happens is we get ourselves within the circle of his blessings. And it's not, it's not about money. What it's about is about getting ourselves in position to be able to receive. That's what Jesus said. He said, give and it will what? It will be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, here's what we have to understand. It ain't about giving so that we can get more. Like, in fact, there are some teachers and preachers that will tell you that. Hey, you know, you, talk, you know I'm talking about the ones with the big hair on TV, and they're just like, hey, give me all your money, and then God will give you a blessing. Come on, right? Like, you just give the money, and you'll wear a Rolex and drive a BMW, and it'll all be great. And that's not what I'm talking about. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, all that kind of stuff. We don't give in order to get. But here's the truth. We get to give. Like, it's a privilege to be able to give. And there's a principle in the Word of God. It's really a universal principle in the universe. It's called sowing and reaping. Like if I go out and I plant some grass in the ground, I can expect that later that those seeds will turn into grass. But if I don't ever plant any seeds, then I'm not ever going to be able to see any grass. And here's the deal. God wants to bless you, but he does it through this principle of sowing and reaping. And if I want to reap, then I have to sow. And it's not about money. It's really about God's ways. It's about 
God being able to bless you. See, God just wants to be first. God just wants you to grow. God just wants you to be blessed. It's not that he wants something from you. It's that he has something for you. Number four, write this one down. God wants to use you to meet the needs of others. It's it's not about money, guys. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. But here's what he wants. He wants to actually use you to be able to meet the needs of others. Of others. In fact, we see this in this in this powerful passage in Genesis chapter twelve. It's, it's God talking to Abraham, and look what He says in verse two. He says, "I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will what? Read these words. You will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through." You. Why did God bless Abraham? Was it so that Abraham could just have it all for himself? Was it so that Abraham could be rich? Was it so that Abraham could just have whatever he wants and just go out to the store and buy it and get whatever he wants? No, no, no. God blessed Abraham so that he could then in turn be a blessing. I will bless you and you will be a blessing and all nations will be blessed through you. Here's the truth here this morning, and we've said it before, but I think it's worth repeating. We are blessed. How many would just agree with me? In America today, where we live, we are blessed. In fact, we are beyond blessed. And I've I've told you this before, but here's what we are. We are rich. So everybody just say, I'm rich. I know some of you are going, I ain't rich. You ain't seen where I live or what I drive. Let me just tell you this. If you earn, in in, in Burleson right now, the average wage earner earns about $34,000 a year. If you earn $34,000 a year, you're going, man, that ain't enough to even live on. But let me just tell you something. If you earn $34,000 a year, did you know that you are in the top 4% of all wage earners in the world today? We're rich. Some of you go, 34. There's no way I could ever live on 34. Well, guess what? If you earn $45,000 this year, total household income. Did you know that if you have a total household income of $45,000 a year, did you know that you're in the top 1% of all wage wage earners in the world today? We're rich. God has blessed us in huge ways. And so you go, wow, that's cool, but I don't really feel very rich. And why why would God bless me? Why, Why would God choose me out of all the people on this earth to live in America and have all that I have, why, why am I rich? Well, the scripture tells us why we are rich right here. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10, it says, God is the one who gives seed to the sower and bread for food. He will give you the seed that you need to make it grow so that you can have a great harvest from goodness. So that's what we were talking about so that you can be blessed. And then look what he says in verse number 11. And he will make you what? Rich in every way. And then these are the most important words, these two words right here. So that. Everybody say, so that. So that you can always give freely. Why has he made us rich? It says it right there. So that we can always give freely. And your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. Verse 12. This service you do will help meet the needs of God's people. We're rich. I'm rich. You're rich. We're not just rich just so that we can be rich. We're rich for this very reason. So that we can be generous. So that we can give. And so that through us, God can meet the needs of his people around the world. 
See, here's the deal. God doesn't want your money and he doesn't need your money. In fact, he can meet all the needs of the people in the world without your money. But here's what's so cool. He chose to let us be a part of the process. He chose to let us be a part of meeting the needs of people around the world so that then we could experience the joy. That's what Jesus said, that there is joy in giving. It's better to give than to receive, that God could just feed all the homeless people and all the hungry people and meet all the needs. He could do that. He's big enough. But he has chose us to be a part of that process. He has chosen to allow us to experience the joy that comes from seeing what God has blessed us with. Make sure and meet the need of somebody who else that doesn't have what they need. Come on. You know, the truth is, it's not about money. Here's what it's about. It's about mission. And it's about ministry. And God has given us a mission. In this earth, he has given us a mission as a church. He has given us a mission to accomplish. But here's the deal. The ability to be able to do the mission and be able to do the ministry flows through our giving of our money. Does that make sense? And so the truth is, is that it ain't about money. It's about ministry. It's about mission. It's about people. But God uses our money in order to meet the needs of those people. And that's why during this month here at LifeGate, we have chosen to make sure that we are helping to meet the needs. We do this all year round, but especially during the month of November, we've chosen to make sure that we are meeting the needs of people around the world who, who don't have what they need. In fact, we chose Thanksgiving time. In fact, in just, in just a few days, we're going to all, you know, sit down and we're going to enjoy the turkey and we're going to get the dressing. And we're going to have the candied yams. Those are nasty. I don't know why anybody would want those. Amen. amen. That's the best amen I got all day. I'm just... <laughs> we're going we're gonna to eat some pumpkin pie and some pecan pie. We're going to stuff ourselves so full, then we're going to unbuckle our belt a little bit and sit down in our recliner and watch the cowboys stink it up like they've been doing. <laughs> and then we're going to go into a coma from all the tryptophan in the turkey. And, <laughs> and then we're going to wake up a few hours later, and for some reason, I don't know, we ate all that food, and then we're going to be like, I'm hungry again. <laughs> we're going to go back in, and we're going to eat some more pumpkin pie. We're going to eat some more, and we're going to pass on the candy DMs again, and we're going <laughs> to... And we're going to stuff ourselves full of all this stuff. And that's how we celebrate Thanksgiving. That we're so thankful that we're just going to stuff ourselves with all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong. I, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorites. But here's the deal. is on that same day that we stuffed ourselves full of all that stuff. There are people in the world who are going to wake up on that same day and go, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. And I don't know how I'm going to have what I need for the day. So as a church, you saw it in the video. We've been talking about this over this last month that... Next Sunday when we come, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, the Sunday before we go and gorge ourselves with all the riches and blessings that God has given us, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that we remember what God has blessed us for, and we're going to make a difference in uh, people's lives around the world. And we're going to be next week, we'll be taking up an offering called One Day to Feed the World. And we're just saying, what if you just took one day, the average American works about 240 days in a year. What if you took what you make for the year and you divided it by 240 and you decided next Sunday I'm going to come and I'm going to give that amount one day. Your one day of giving could change their every day. And we're going to give to Convoy of Hope who's feeding people around the world to make a difference in the world because we recognize that God doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money. It ain't about money, but it is about God using us to meet the needs, about him using our money to meet the needs of the people 
people around the world, of people, maybe even people in our own community and in our own lives, that we can meet their needs because of how God has blessed us. See, it ain't about money. Everybody say it again. It ain't about money. It ain't about money. It's about the fact that God wants to be first in your life. It's about the fact that God wants you to grow, and the only way to really, really grow is to trust Him fully. It's about the fact that God wants to bless you. He wants to get you in a position to be able to receive His blessings, and if you're not receiving them, maybe you're not in position, and maybe you need to trust Him in this way. It's about the fact that God has chosen us. He's allowed us to participate in the process. He could meet everybody's needs with just a word, but He lets us be a part of it, and that is a privilege. So you might say, well, Pastor, what do I do? Like, I've had, it, I've had it all wrong. I've been believing this lie and this stuff, and I've had wrong attitudes about this and all that. What do I do? How do I make sure that I'm, that I'm giving God my all? How do, how do I make sure that I'm growing, that I'm being blessed? How do I make sure that I'm using what I have to be a blessing to others? Well, just let me just give you a couple practical little things, and then we'll be done. Number one, just start with the tithe. We already talked about it, so I don't have to talk about it anymore. But just, I just challenge you, if you're not already, just start right now. Give them 10%. Some of you have already, are already doing that, and you're trusting God, and you're seeing God work. And you could get up here and preach a sermon about how God has worked in your life in this way. But sometimes, here's what we do. Sometimes we get kind of comfortable in that. And we think, well, I'm tithing, so I'm, I'm doing good. And you are doing good. Thank you for that. That's awesome. But the truth is, is that tithe is really just the beginning point. It's not, it's not like the goal that we reach. It's the, it's the starting. It's a starting line. And so maybe some of you need to, number two, maybe you just need to gradually increase your level of generosity. Maybe some of you have been tithing 10% for a long time, and you need to go, hey, this year we're going to do 11% or 12% or 13% or whatever. In fact, Amber and I, we've, we've done this in our life where we just decided, we're, you know, 10%, that's good, but that's just a starting point, and God gave 100% for us, and so we want to go above and beyond. And so we set aside another percentage that we give to the Lord so that when we have an offering like we're having next week or we have things going on and people in need, we're able to bless and we're able to give and we're able to go above and beyond. You know, I know of one pastor who made it his goal when he started out in ministry. He decided, I want to, by the end of my ministry, I want to be able to be a reverse tither, is what he called it. He said, I want to be a person who gives 90% of what I have and I want to live on the other 10%. And I can tell you that that pastor has reached that goal and God has blessed him so much to the point where he gives away 90% and lives on the 10%. Pretty cool stuff, right? Some of you, maybe God might want to stretch you in this way. And it'll, it'll stretch your faith. It'll grow you. But I'm telling you, it, it really isn't a money thing. Because God doesn't need it and he doesn't want it. And God's not trying to get something from you. What he's really trying to get is something to you and something through you and something for you. He wants to be first and he wants you to grow and he wants you to be blessed. And he wants you to have the joy of being used to make a difference around the world.